Today's scripture reading is taken from Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent up a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Thank you. You may be seated. This is God's word for us. Precious Father, thank you. As we begin this new series today, we look to you, God. You are the one who is our teacher. Your word says that the Spirit will be our teacher. And Lord, I just pray that as we hear your word, that Lord, our hearts will be open to receive it. You are at work, God. You are at work in Nineveh. You are at work here in Hong Kong. You're at work in the lives of each and every person who is here this morning. It is not a coincidence that we are here today. And God, we pray as we open your word. These are your holy scriptures. You are the author of these words. And pray, God, that you would speak powerfully to our hearts, that you would show us what it is that you are wanting in our lives. God, we give you glory, and we give you honor in advance. And we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, as we begin a new series this morning, we are in, obviously in Jonah chapter 1. And as we begin the book of Jonah, one of the things that we will be seeing throughout the next three weeks is that Jonah, the theme of Jonah, centers around mercy. Mercy, it's scandalous mercy, if you will, because of what it is that God is going to ask of Jonah. And I want to I wanna just say at the very beginning that Jonah, his disobedience, it, it resulted in a storm. Every act of disobedience will result in a storm, has a storm attached to it. That does not mean that every storm that enters our life is because of sin. Where there, are, where there is disobedience, disobedience doesn't just affect us. It affects those around us as well. And, but in the midst of these storms, there's the deep mercy of God. That's number two. It is interesting, the pagan world of this time saw mercy as a flaw as a character flaw, and they wouldn't do it. And as we'll see, in Jonah's heart, Jonah thought that mercy was reserved for God's people and God's people alone. The word of the Lord, verse 1 and 2, Jonah 1 and 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Jonah, we're not given any timeline in the book of Jonah as to what, what time period this is. But we know from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verses 25 to 23 to 25, that he was, he was prophesying during the reign of Jeroboam. Verse 23 says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, of Israel, became king of Samaria, and he reigned forty-one years. The next phrase is very common of the kings of Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the borders of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through the servant, Jonah, son of Amittai the prophet of gath Hefer. So this sets us in a timeline. And I have a, a timeline up here that I wanted to show you. As you see, it's, it's a little bit small. But you can see toward the end there is where, is where Jonah is ministering. You see, too, there are two other prophets that are also prophesying during this same time, Amos and Hosea. And it's interesting how their ministries also overlap with Jonah and what it was that they prophesied about affected Jonah as well. Because if you remember with Hosea, Hosea's prophecy, his thing is about mercy, about calling the people of Israel back. Even though they'd sinned, he took them back and he took them back. Whereas Amos' prophecy is about judgment. And he's caught in the middle of this. And God comes to him. God comes to him and he says to him that he wants him to prophesy. One more thing about the time in which this is going on. This was the second most prosperous time in the history of Israel, right behind King Solomon. The rich were getting richer, and the poor were getting poorer. It was such a hard time for the poor that they had a hard time even thinking that God even cared about them anymore. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's so important that we know that. The word of the Lord. This wasn't just somebody speaking. Remember what we have learned in experiencing God. God is the one who always takes the initiative to come and to speak to us. Why? Because God is always at work around us. For Jonah, where was God at work? He was at work in Nineveh. I'm going to show you a map here of, of this as well. Where Jonah is, it's up more toward the... Uh, up, up more. Uh, I wish I had a pointer here about this time. Where you see King of Aram, Kingdom of Aram of Damascus. 
Oh, thank you. Oh, wow, you are good. Right up here. <laughs> yeah, I got to get me one of these. Uh, um, this, is, this is the area where, where Jonah is at. He's probably up here in Samaria uh, prophesying. But this is the kingdom of Aram. Aram is the one that at this point is the, is the troublemaker. Assyria is farther up here. Their time is coming. Their time is coming. But God now sends Jonah on a mission to go to Assyria. This is one of the only of the prophets that we read. Most of the time we read what it is that the prophet is prophesying. In this book, though, we are watching the life of the prophet. And in no other of the, of the prophets do we see the prophet going to the place. Normally it was just something that was prophesied, put down on, on paper. But for Jonah, he is called to go to Assyria. Now look at what it says here. It says that he was called to go in verse, in verse 2, uh, verse 1 and 2 again. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go. Now, this is one of these times that I'm going to encourage you. If you have on your, on your phone the, the NASV, the New American Standard Version, this does a better job of rendering this at this time because it says two words. It says, get up, arise, and go. There are two commands. Two commands for Jonah, get up and go. And where is he to go? He's to go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh was a, was a large city. Um, most of the scholars believe about 600,000 people lived in that city. It's about 680 miles from, Drew, or from northern part of Israel. But the Assyrians were renowned. They were renowned for their brutality. You did not want to be taken a prisoner of war by the, by the Assyrians. They, they, you can go ahead and read. I won't say I will keep this PG this morning. They're just absolutely ruthless and brutal in their treatment of, of their captives. And for Jonah, Jonah was called. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh. This is God's mercy. This is your slide number three. This is God's mercy on a people that didn't know him. And for Jonah, was this a, was this a hard thing for him to do? You better believe it was a hard thing to do. And God says to them, their wickedness has come up before me. That's an interesting word. Wickedness there is a word that, that could also mean calamity. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about God is at work in Nineveh. He's powerfully at work in Nineveh. There are some things that are happening. I'm not going to uh, tell you what's going on. If you want to do some research on your own this week, you can look at that. But there are some things that are going on. God is softening them. God is softening the hearts of the Assyrian people at this time. And Jonah, Jonah is called to go, out, go to that place. But it says in verse 3, it's, it's interesting, it's almost humorous in the Hebrew, the way that it's written. It says in verse 3, it says, but Jonah, Jonah ran away. It, it literally, it says, Jonah got up and he went, he ran away. He ran away to flee from the Lord. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a boat bound for that port bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, where Jonah was called was about 680 miles away from Israel. Where Jonah goes to, or where he tries to go to, get this, is 2,800 miles in the opposite direction. Tarshish was the farthest end of the known world at that time. Most biblical scholars place it in southern, uh, southern Spain at that time. You can see there. This is where he's supposed to go, but look at where he's trying to go. And it gets better. It took over a year to get to that place. It took over a year. And in fact, when you tried to sail, you could not just sail straight there. You had to go up around the island of Cyprus, 
where you see the X, there's a little island up there. You had to go around that island of Cyprus because of the way the winds went. It took over a year. We're told a little detail in the book of Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 22, it says, The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea with the ships of Hiram. And they're talking about going to Tarshish. Once every three years it returned, carrying gold, silver, ivory, ivory, apes, and baboons. So that Tarshish was the absolute opposite direction of where it was that he was going to go. And we see that it says, when he found a ship there, he paid the fare. Literally, he chartered the boat. He paid the fare, and he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to do what? To flee from the Lord. Now, now please, Jonah is no slouch. Jonah knows the word of God. We're not going to look at chapter 2 because of the shortness of the series. But as you look at chapter 2, chapter 2 is filled with one psalm after another psalm after another psalm. Jonah knows God's word. So what on earth is Jonah thinking that he can flee from the Lord? Can anyone flee from the Lord? We, we can't. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He can't flee. We can't flee anywhere. We can't go anywhere away from the presence of God. We can't go anywhere away, away from the presence of God. So what is Jonah doing? What is he doing? What does that mean to flee away from the presence of God? Uh, it, it probably has this in mind, that Jonah is seeking to go to a place where God's name is not known. But whatever it means, Jonah is seeking to get away from God, get away from what it was that God wanted him to do. Can we ever get away from the call of God in our life? Because is there a call upon our lives? Okay, let me say that a little louder. Is there a call upon our lives? Yes, there is. The question is, are we being faithful to what it is that God has called us? Because God is always at work around us. And God invites you to join him in what it is that he's doing. God was at work in Nineveh. And God had invited Jonah to join him in what it was that he was doing. But yet Jonah, when he heard what it was that God had called him to do, what did he do? He went in the absolute opposite direction. He disobeyed God. When we disobey God, does that mean that the call of God goes away from us? It does not. It usually means that God will use something to get our attention to bring us back. So why does Jonah flee? I think there's three reasons why Jonah fled away from the Lord. Practically, practically, why would God offer a chance at repentance to a nation like Assyria? Especially since they would probably attack Israel in a few years, which they would. 722 BC, Assyria will come in and they will take Israel captive back, into, back, in, back up to Assyria. Why would God do that? Theologically, it didn't make sense. Why would God seek to show mercy upon a nation that was not from Israel? He wouldn't do that, would he? And then personally as well, Jonah was disgusted at the lack of mercy that the Assyrians showed to the enemy. You know, that is such hypocrisy. He, he, he was disgusted at how the Assyrians were, but yet in his own heart, he also lacked mercy. He also lacked the mercy that God was calling for him to show towards the Assyrians. And so Jonah goes the opposite way. He goes away, from the, he goes away and he boards a ship. And what does God do when, when Jonah goes away? It says in verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind, literally he hurled a great wind from the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God sent a storm. Jonah tried to run away, but God wouldn't let him run away. God sent a storm to get his attention. And watch this. Look at verse 5. It says, All the sailors were afraid. 
When the sailors are afraid, you should be afraid. These guys were people who spent their lives out on the water, and the ship is literally breaking up. They're throwing everything off of the ship that they can. And it says, The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And you want to say, how on earth is it that Jonah is fast asleep in the midst of this time? I think there are times that when we don't want to do what it is that the Lord is calling for us to do, we can simply turn off, we can shut down things in our lives. And Jonah, for Jonah, he didn't care what God was asking him to do. He didn't want to do what it was that God was calling him to do. And he fell into a deep sleep. Verse 6 is huge. Verse 6 says, The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? You know, that's something that as we think about the world and where our world is at, and we look around, what is it that God is calling us to do? What is it that God is laying his hand on our heart to do? Because it's easy for us in Hong Kong, right? We get up. We, we make breakfast or we make breakfast for somebody. We get on the MTR. We go to where it is that we're supposed to go. We work 8, 9, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. We get back on the MTR. We go home. We eat a little bit of supper. We get back in bed. And we do it all over again the next day. And you think, okay, is that what God's calling me to do? Or does God have something else in mind? And the captain said, how can you sleep? And I think in days, especially in the days in which we are, we have to be asking ourselves, am I asleep at what it is, to what it is that God is calling me to do? What is it that God is asking of me? What is it that God is calling of me to do? And he says, get up. It's interesting. There's the same word again. The same word that God says to Jonah. Now this captain says to him, get up. Get up and call on your God. This verse, maybe he will take notice of us and, will not, and we will not perish. Was God taking notice upon them? He absolutely was. He absolutely was taking notice upon them. That's the mercy of God as well towards these sailors. That's your last one. That's slide number eight. That's your mercy, the mercy of God there. But notice this. Jonah's disobedience. Who's the one who's praying here? Who are the ones who are praying? It's the sailors. Jonah's not praying. Jonah knows why it is that the storm has come upon them. But Jonah's not praying. The sailors are praying. They're praying like, like all get out. He says, call upon your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. God had taken notice upon them. But notice this. Jonah's disobedience didn't just affect him. And that's, that should cause us to sit up a little bit. Because Jonah's disobedience didn't just affect him. It affected these sailors. But it also affected Nineveh. How many pass into a crisis eternity? between the time when Jonah runs away and the time between when Jonah finally goes back to Nineveh, when he finally responds to God. In our lives, in our lives, it is so important that we stay close to the Lord. When we said a couple of weeks ago that if you're having, if you're having trouble hearing the voice of God, you need to stop what it is that you're doing and ask the Lord, why is it that I'm having trouble hearing your voice? Because your relationship to God, everything, your relationship to God, everything revolves around that. If that isn't right, it's going to affect everything else. And when Jonah chooses to run away, the sailors say to him, the, the sailors say to him, you know, what, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to stop this storm? 
You notice Jonah's response? Throw me into the water. What is Jonah thinking? You throw him into the water, he's going to do what? He's going to die. He's going to drown. And he's going to be released from it was what it was that God wanted him to do. The problem is, sovereign God is the one who is at work here. He's the one who starts up a storm. He's the one now who's going to bring a fish as well to swallow Jonah. And some of you say, well, I don't really believe that whole fish story thing. Like, You know who believed that? I had a lady um, several years ago, sweet, sweet lady from northern Minnesota. And we have, I was doing a funeral for one of her relatives, and she came to me after the funeral, and she said, uh, Pastor, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes? And I had no idea what she was going to say. And she opens with this line. She said, is Jonah true? I, I said, what, what, what do you mean? And she said, is the book of Jonah true, or is it simply a story? And I said, well, I said, before I answer that question, I said, well, let's look at what Jesus said. And what did Jesus say? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be in the earth three days and three nights. I said, if Jesus believed it and taught it, then what do you think? And she said, it's true. And I said, it's absolutely true. And that's it. She said, that's, that's all I need. I want to come to this church because this church preaches that God's word is true. And Jonah, Jonah felt that he could run away from the Lord. Jonah is a true story. God not only sent the wind, but he also sent the fish to get Jonah's attention. When God makes the call, why did God do this? Because within the storm, do we see the mercy of God? This is the thing that we need to understand. In the midst of the storms, even when we walk away from God, God in his mercy is the one who is calling back. It was mercy in the midst of that storm that God sent the, that God sent the fish. It was God's mercy that was leading Jonah on as well. Because we read in God's word, who is the author of mercy? It is God. In Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says, I love this. It says, when the love and mercy of God appeared. What a great way to talk about Christ. When the love and mercy of God appeared, it says what? He saved us. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of what? His mercy. And God says, I will have mercy upon whom I will choose to have mercy. See, Jonah's big problem is this. The Assyrians do not deserve the mercy of God. And when we think that people, well, this person deserves mercy, but this person doesn't deserve mercy, we need to stop and say, then why do I deserve mercy? Because God is a merciful God, and God also calls his people to be merciful. Question is, is there somebody in your life today that you need to extend mercy towards? Saw in, in, a, in a place a while back, these words scrawled across, across a, a, a bridge, and they said this, I will never forgive. Whoa. And when I read that, it was like, wow, I'll never forgive. God is the one who forgives us. God is the one who extends mercy towards us. God is the one who keeps working in our lives. God isn't done with Jonah for a long, by a long shot. And God is the one who's at work in Jonah's life because the same mercy that God's going to extend towards Jonah is the same mercy that he calls towards this wicked place of Assyria. And you think about that. God is a God who extends mercy, not just to his people, but God is a God who extends mercy to all. And God's call, God's call on our lives doesn't end just because of our disobedience. 
He keeps calling and he keeps calling until we will, until we will join him in what it is that he is doing. Let me give you a, a story, and with this I'm done. There was a man, his name was Fred Rule, and Fred was born in China, a west, northwestern China, to parents uh, who had, were missionaries with the Christian Missionary, Christian Missionary Alliance. At, a, at an early age, Fred realized how much he didn't like being in a missionary home. He didn't like the, having to go to prayer meeting. He didn't like to have to, on, on Sundays when it would be time to go to church, he was whistling one Sunday on his way to church, and a lady stopped him and said, you, you, can't, you can't whistle on Sundays. And Fred didn't like the fact that the clothes that he wore were oftentimes either too short or torn or stained, and he would have to wear these to boarding school. He hated that. He hated not having enough all the time, the missionary salary that his family lived on. And he he vowed in his heart that he would never become a missionary. He went away to boarding school, and while some children uh, struggled at boarding school, he excelled at boarding school. He did really, really well. And when he was 13 years old, there was, a, there was a chapel speaker who came there, and the message that he had gripped his heart such that Fred prayed to receive Christ. And he said, I no more prayed to receive Christ than I felt God's call of him saying to me, I want you to serve me as a missionary. And Fred said, no. He said, I will not do it. Fred went on to live his life, and even though he had prayed to receive Christ, he was a bit of a rebel, more than a bit of a rebel. And he did what he wanted to do with his life. And always the call was there. Fred, I want you to be a missionary. I want you to be a missionary. One day Fred stepped outside and he said to God out loud, he said, do you want to know why I don't want to be a missionary? Here's why. Because I do not believe that you can take care of me if I was a missionary. And with that, he put his feet in the ground and he said, I will never be a missionary. Fast forward a few years. Now Ed is, now Fred is in... Um, still in boarding school, but he's toward the end of his time at boarding school. He gets a message from another former classmate by the name of Henry Eckvall. Henry is in Chicago, and this letter changed. This letter would change Fred's life. The letter said Henry was going to school at Wheaton, and he was in order to pay his way through school, he was a taxi cab driver. And in this taxi, he said, one day he said, a man came into the taxi dressed very, very nice suit. And he began to just talk with this guy. And he said, you know, why are you in town? You're here for a business meeting. He said, the guy was from, from Ford Motor Company. And the guy then asked Fred, or asked uh, Henry, he said, so why are you driving taxi? You know, you say you're in school. And he said, well, I'm driving taxi so that I can pay my way through school. And he said, so where are you from? And he said, well, he said, I'm from China. To which the guy from Ford, he sat up a little higher. He said, you're from China? And he said, yeah. He said, I was born in China. He said, do you speak Chinese? He said, yes. He said, I was born in China. He said, I speak like a local. And he said, how would you like a job? He said, I, we are wanting to send over the newest line of our Ford 1936 Ford motor cars over to China. He said, we have all the people to do the driving, but we don't have an interpreter. He said, do you know China fairly well? He said, yes, I know it well. But he said, I have another friend who knows it even better. His name is Fred Rule. And he said, I'll contact him. He said, if you can contact him and get an affirmative, he said, all, he said, you guys can plan the route out. And he said, we'll take these cars over so that people see these new 1936 Ford cars. So he wrote a letter to, to Fred Rule, and Fred opened it up. And as he's reading, it's like, yes, yes, sign me up. And so it was planned that the, that the ship would come in and that the, um, 
that the cars would be offloaded, they would wash them, and then they would begin to drive them around the town, honking the horn so that the people would see, the, see these new cars. And as the cars came off of the ship, they came off the ship and they were getting ready to wash these cars. The sky, as, as Fred looked out at the sky, it was a greenish yellow. And he said in, 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 Kent, or he said in Mandarin to one of the old men sitting there, he said, the sky looks so funny. He said, what's, what's with the sky? And the old man looked up at the sky and he said, that's a sandstorm. And he said, if you don't get those cars in under protection, he said, there's not going to be one speck of paint left on those shiny new cars. And so they pulled the cars in just as the, the sandstorm hit. And all night long, the sandstorm raged outside. And all night long, Fred's heart, he just seethed in his heart, thinking, why on earth? This is our opportunity to show these cars off. And God, here, here you provide this storm to, to keep us in, inside here. The next day, they woke up. There was no sand. There was no, no sandstorm anymore. But they had to dig their way out of the garage and bring their car. And as they honked the horn, nobody paid attention because everyone was digging themselves out. The thing that, that Fred was counting on is that they would wash those cars, take them around, honk the horn, and then they would go to the next town, and they would stay there for the night, they would sleep there. There was a place that had really good noodles, and they would have noodles there, and then they would move on the next day. So after they got the cars, or after they got the cars out, he said, well, let's go on to the next city. He said, at least we can have noodles for breakfast. And as they went to the next city, there was nothing. And you know as well as I do, you go to the city and there's people everywhere. And he said, there was nothing. And they said, hello, hello. And they looked around and th- there was nobody there. And finally, behind a piece of, of, of board, there was an old man and he was shaking. And they said, where are all the people? And they said, last night bandits came in. And they came in and they, they asked for the women, they asked for the children. As soon as they got all the women and the children, they killed every man here in the village except for me. And Fred thought about that for a second. He thought, we were supposed to be here last night. We should have been killed. And even as Fred thought that, his mind went to what it was that God was telling him. He said, don't think that that's going to change my mind. Okay, I I see you protected us, but don't think that's going to change my mind. Several weeks went on, and how they'd worked it out was that Fred would, Fred, when they got close to where his parents were, his dad would come. It was a seven-day trip on horseback from where, from where Fred's parents were. And they would drive to that place. Fred would get out, and he would go with his dad seven days. It was going to be three weeks. And what they said was at the end of the three weeks, Fred would meet this place right back here with Henry again, and they would go on. And Henry said, I only have this many days. You have to be here by this date. Otherwise, he said, I'm going to have to just leave you here. So they went, and he, Henry spent Fred spent a great time with his family, and when he came back, as they were coming back, the second day into the trip back, they woke up in the middle of the night, and there was a storm, just rain, rain coming down, just in buckets. So much so that, so much so that they couldn't even go outside that day. And Fred inside again, just see it. He's like, Who's in charge of the weather? Oh, that's right. You're in charge of the weather, God. Why is it that now, now I'm going to be late for my trip back? And so the next morning, the, there was no more rain, and they, they went off. And inside again, Fred's heart is just seething. They got two days more into the trip, and there was another storm that stopped them. They couldn't go on. And so Fred again is seething over there. Finally, they get out, and they get back to the village of where they're supposed to go. And 
they're, they're not there. And there was a note that was written down there. And it, or, yeah, there was a note that was written down, and it said that, sorry, we couldn't wait for you. We had to go on to the next city. Well, they went on to the next city, and they, they didn't find him there. And so they began looking around, and they said, well, we don't know where they went. They could see the cars over here, but where were the people? And Fred's father was with him, and he said, well, at least we can go to the well, and we can, we can, um, we can get some water for the horses. And they lowered the bucket down into the well, and it went thud. And Fred looked over the edge of the well, and there were all of the drivers of those cars. And his friend Henry was the last one that they pulled out of the well. Bandits had taken all of those guys. They'd left the cars and just killed these Americans. And Fred realized at that moment, God... You protected me again. If it were not for those storms, I would have been here at the right time. And Fred realized his days of running away from God had ended. Now fast forward. Fast forward 35, 40 years. To a church in Wisconsin, there is a teenager sitting in the back of the church. He's 19 years old. He's not walking with the Lord. His pastor's wife came to him and thumped him on the chest and said to him, when are you going to begin to do with your life what God has called you? You are running away from God. And you are running away from God. And that young man thought, well, who is she to tell him that? And so that young man was sitting in the back of the church and he wasn't listening at all to what it was that this missionary was saying. And finally the missionary stopped and he said something that caught this young man's attention. And he said, Young people, he said, I am retiring as a missionary. He said, I was a missionary to Taiwan. And he said, tonight, or this is my last church. And he said, I'm retiring from ministry. But he said, before I go, he said, I have a question that I need to ask you young people. He said, what are you doing with your life? He said, where I live in Taiwan, and he shared a number like, he said, tonight, he said, 2,500 people will die and go into a crisis eternity. And he said, the travesty of it all is this that of those 2,500, 2,000 of them will die and go to a crisis eternity, never once hearing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, and what are you doing about it? He said, are you running away from God? That was the second time that week I had heard that statement. And God got my attention. Because I was. I was running away from the Lord. I didn't want to do what it was that God wanted me to do. God was calling me, but I didn't want to do what God was calling me to do because I thought, I will never stand up in front of people and preach God's word. I will never do that. I want to be a forest stranger. I want to get as far away from people as I can. And yet God had a call in my life. And when he said, are you running away from the Lord? I didn't realize until I read his biography that he was someone also who had been running away from the Lord. And that night I said yes to God. I said, okay, God. Wherever you call me to go, whatever you ask of me to do, God, I will serve you. I will do what you want me to do. I will be who you want me to be. I will stop running from you. God's mercy arrested me. And God's mercy, God in his mercy sometimes sends storms in our lives. Because he so deeply loves the people that are around you. He so deeply loves you and wants to use you to reach people, to share the light and to share the truth of God's word, of his grace and of his mercy. And sometimes you say, well, that person doesn't deserve mercy. They do deserve mercy in the same way that we do. And Jonah's example of somebody 
who ran away from the Lord, but God extended his mercy. And today, as we, as we hear this word, are we running away from God? Or are we listening to what it is that God is asking for us to do? For some of us, you say, well, I, I'm scared. If, if I do this, if I do this, then, then what's going to happen in my life? And God's word says that he will make his grace abound in you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, God was calling Jonah to go into Nineveh, a very, very dangerous place. And to do what? Preach against it. And Jonah didn't want to go. Scary thing. But God provided for Jonah in the same way that God will provide for us in whatever it is that he's calling for us to do. But the first thing that we need to do and the first thing we need to say to God is yes. Yes. Jonah got up, but he ran away. But God in his mercy, as we shall see next week, gives Jonah a second chance. That's God's mercy again. Because whatever it is that God has called us to do, it doesn't end just because we say no. He will continue to work and continue to work to bring us back to him. In the midst of the storms, we see the mercy, the deep mercy of God. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. More importantly, God, we thank you for your mercy. Again and again and again, God. Your word says that the steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, you say in your word that even if we walk away from you, you will never walk away from us. And God, you have laid your hand upon each and every one of us. All the days ordained for us were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. And where we are is not a coincidence. You have placed us, you have strategically placed us, you have put people around us into whose lives you want the truth, you want the mercy of God to be shared. And Lord, I pray as a mighty wind you would sweep over this, your people, and that God, you would infuse us with courage, that God, you would give us your, your eyes to see what it is and where it is that God, you are at work and how it is that you want to use us. I pray, God, whether it is working as a helper with children or with older people or working in a corporate office or working as a teacher, working in whatever it is that, God, you have called us to do, that, God, we will ask you, Lord, where is it? What is it that you would have us to do? What is it that you would have us to be about? And that, God, we would extend mercy. Lord, for some of us, there are people in our lives that we would also say, I will never forgive. But God, you call us. You call us to be ones who look like you. And Lord, you were one who extended mercy. You were the one who upon the cross said, Father, forgive them. You kept saying it. Father, forgive them. And God, I pray that as a people, as a church, that God, we will be known for our love. We will be known for our mercy and for forgiveness. God, I pray as we go out into our mission field this week, that we will go out as a people ready to share about the mercy of Christ. I pray, God, this in, all of your, in the name of Jesus. For all the glory goes to you, Father. Amen. Amen. May the grace and peace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ be yours. I pray that as you go out, that God would infuse you with courage. 
Let's just stop for a second. And I just pray. I pray that God would infuse you with mercy, that the joy of the Lord would be your strength, that out of you would flow rivers of living water, and that when people see you, they will see the life of Christ. They will hear the words of Christ. They will feel the touch of Christ upon you. And I pray this in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Have a great week. Love you.